Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. I hope that you enjoyed the holidays, both Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we had a nice time with our family, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. All the, all the, almost all of us were together, although it was a little bit weird because we were wearing our masks and we were practicing social distancing by family. It was just different this year. Uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, I was able to spend just with my wife at our cabin, and so just a, a wonderful time, but it certainly was a different kind of year. Toward the end of every year, many of you know, I like to just reflect on the past year and really my life. It's a time where I I just tend to be very reflective. I I look at things that happened in the past year or throughout my life, and I I look for things that maybe need to change, habits many times. Sometimes there are habits that I need to break. Sometimes there are habits that I need to incorporate in my life. And, And so we wanted to begin this new series titled, Make It a Habit. In the process of reflecting on all of this, thinking about it though, my mind went back several days ago to a time when I was in high school. And some of you have heard me talk about the fact that my brother, my older brother and I were involved with the gymnastic team. And we chose different apparatus for our routine. He was on the trampoline and I was on the high bar. And there's one incident that I remember about each of us Uh, With my older brother on the trampoline, I'm reminded of the time that he flew off the trampoline and he landed on the pummel horse. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with what a pummel horse looks like in gymnastics, here's here's a picture of it. He landed perfectly on it. You can imagine that things could have gone very wrong here. He landed right with one leg on each side and he missed the the two bars there. It was kind of humorous, but I was glad it turned out the way it did. For me, the apparatus, again, was the high bar. And if you're watching online again, let me show you a picture of someone on the high bar. He's performing what I believe is part of a routine that's called around the world. Now, it's been 40 years since I was involved with gymnastics, so I might be wrong about that, but the particular part of the routine called around the world involves having your body completely straight and then you go around the bar, the bar 360 degrees. Well, I was working on that particular routine, that part of the routine, and, and I went to the top and I went to, to fly over the bar, but my body wasn't straight like it's supposed to be. It was kind of bent in the shape of an L which meant that when I went over the top of the bar, I yanked when I came down and had so much momentum going forward that I fell off the high bar and slid across the floor. Now, this wasn't supposed to be able to happen because at the time in in gymnastics, I was wearing a thick leather belt and attached to it were these two handles and then attached to those were these ropes. And two gymnasts were holding those ropes and they were supposed to be watching me as I was practicing to make sure I didn't fall. And if, if I did fall, they were supposed to pull tight on those ropes. It would leave me hanging there. 
but they weren't paying attention, and so I flew off the bar. I slid across the floor, and the problem was that the gymnastic team practiced on a balcony that overlooked the basketball court, and the court was like 15 to 20 feet down below. And I found myself with my legs dangling over that balcony. If I had gone about two feet further, I probably would have fallen and maybe dragged one or two of those guys with me. Part of the reason, though, I was thinking about this incident and my brother and me being involved with gymnastics is the thought occurred to me that my older brother was always better at sports than I was. He just was better at sports, and he might have been born more athletic, he might have been born to be better at sports, but there was something he did that I think made a huge difference, and that is he worked at it. He was someone who spent a lot of time lifting weights, and if there was some sport that he was interested in, he worked very, very hard at that sport. In fact, I understand he was given an opportunity at one point to try out for a minor league baseball team. He was that good. He could throw behind his back a football that would go farther than I could throw it forward, let alone a baseball. But he worked at it. Now, my brother graduated from high school after that year we were together on gymnastics, and I just didn't join the next year because it didn't matter to me. I didn't care that much. The point I want to make here is this, though. I I recognize that sometimes people are naturally gifted or in various areas. Maybe it's athletics, but maybe it's something else as well. But one of the biggest indicators of success is how much effort we're willing to put into something. The bottom line is we tend to do the things that really matter to us. If something matters to us, we will do whatever we need to make sure it gets done. And if it doesn't, we often will not count the cost and we will not do it. Now, as we begin this new year, I know some of you are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions, and so you're deciding where to invest time or energy on improving yourselves. Uh, Others of you have given up on resolutions altogether, perhaps. But I want to encourage you to have one practice that would really make a difference spiritually in your life, and it's the practice of spending time getting to know God through what Christians have called a quiet time or devotions. Now, a lot of Christians are in this practice, and there are lots of things that will help us grow spiritually, including fellowship and other things. But for me personally, this has been the one that has made the most difference in terms of staying consistent in my relationship with God it's been having a quiet time. Now, usually a quiet time consists of reading the Bible and then praying. Other people add some other components to their quiet time. For example, some people like to journal. Uh, Other people like to grab some three-by-five cards, and as they're reading their Bible, when they come across a verse that's particularly meaningful, they write it down, and they either memorize it or they meditate on it later. Uh, Some people are used to using a published devotional, although if you go that route, I would encourage you to also read your Bible. What I want to encourage you to do, though, with this quiet time, and it's a subtle difference, but use the quiet time as a way to develop your relationship with God. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is that a quiet time is not about attaining Bible knowledge, although that will happen. Obviously, if you read your Bible, you'll grow in your biblical understanding. But the main purpose of a quiet time is to get to know God through the pages of the Bible. 
And so my takeaway today is this. If you want to know God, you've got to spend time in his word. If you want to know not just what God is like, but I think if you want to know God, you've got to spend time in his word. I want you to think for a moment, how do we know what God is like? We only know what God is like by the way he has revealed himself, mostly through the pages of the Bible. Now, there are other ways in which God has revealed himself. For example, we know from the book of Romans that God has revealed himself through creation. All of creation reveals certain things about God, how powerful he is and and mighty he is and things like that. And of course, the clearest example of how God has revealed himself is through Jesus. If you're looking at Jesus, you are looking at God because Jesus was not just the son of God, he was God the son. And so if you look at how Jesus lived his life, you have a clue about what God is like. But I don't think we'd even know that except that these things have all been recorded for us in the pages of the Bible. And if you want to know God, you've got to spend time in his word. You've got to invest the time and energy to get to know God. Now, today I want to give you two examples from my own devotional time. And I want you to see kind of how sometimes I even wrestle with things that I'm reading in the Bible. And then when we get to the end here, I want to give you some practical steps in terms of your own quiet time or devotional time. Our example, the first example comes from the Old Testament, and the second example is going to be from the New Testament. The Old Testament example comes from Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 5, which last week, as in my reading, I was in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm now in Joshua. I just finished Deuteronomy. But... The second example is going to be in the New Testament. And one thing I want to observe and and make this point up front is that I am convinced that God is the same in both the Old and the New Testament. Sometimes people say that the God of the Old Testament is, he's harsh, he's angry, he's judgmental. He just seems maybe different. And then you come to the New Testament and God seems so loving and so gracious or whatever. But I'm convinced, having read the Bible consistently for 45 years, that God is the same in the Old and the New Testament. In fact, I've, I would suggest that there are more examples of the love of God, perhaps 10 times as many examples of the love of God in the Old Testament than the New I'd also suggest that maybe the judgment you read in the New Testament is 10 times as bad as the old because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. But sometimes we have to wrestle with how he reveals what he's like because God in the pages of the Bible has revealed what he's like through the stories but also through the things he's taught us through the laws in a variety of different ways. Now, I'd like to read these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, which were part of my quiet time this past week. We read, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, we learn a couple characteristics of God from these verses. He's described as a consuming fire and a jealous God. The consuming fire part, I think the people of Israel would have really understood that in the context of these verses. Because these verses were given to the people of Israel while they were standing around Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws. And if you read in the book of 
Deuteronomy and Exodus, you see that Mount Sinai was actually on fire at the time. That God revealed himself through this, this fire that seemed to consume the mountain. I don't know that it was actually consuming the mountain. But it was a reflection of the holiness of God. Fire, many times in the Bible, is a picture of the holiness of God. But he's also described in this verse as being a jealous God. And that's where I want to focus. Because if you go to the next chapter in Deuteronomy, chapter 5, I'd like to read verses 7 through the first part of verse 9 where we read, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And there it is again. And these verses are found within the context of the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, as I was reading this this past week, a thought popped into my mind. And I want to admit that it's a, it was a very human thought. It wasn't really a godly thought per se. It was a human thought. And the thought was this. It just seemed odd that God would get jealous. In fact, I, would, I might go so far as to say it seemed petty. Now again, I'm not saying it was a, a godly thought, although realize that as you're wrestling with what God is like, that God is okay with you trying to wrestle through it. I tried to figure out in what sense God was jealous because in my experience, for example, jealousy is often not a positive quality. Uh, most of the times when I've heard about jealousy being displayed, it wasn't, it wasn't actually a good thing. It was a, a bad thing. Now, there are other cases where maybe within the context of a marriage, it was really understandable. And I understood jealousy from that context. But when I think about God, it's like, with whom could God possibly be jealous? That was the question I was wrestling with. Nobody can compete with God. In what sense could God possibly look on anybody or anything and be jealous? That was the thing I was kind of wrestling with. And so I sat there and I wondered about it and I sat there and I prayed about it and I began to look at my study Bible for some hints about this. How does God get jealous and how might I understand how that applies to my own life? And while I was reflecting on that, <clears throat> I re remembered something that I learned the last time I was in Israel. It's something that's been since confirmed by Bible commentaries or a, a Bible studies or study Bibles. But it was something that, that suddenly caused it to make sense for me. Uh, and it was this, that on Mount Sinai, when God approached the people of Israel, what was really happening there was it was like a wedding proposal. That's the lens through which I think we need to see what happened. You see, God said to the people of Israel, I will be your God and you're going to be my people. Do you want me? It was like a wedding proposal. God said to them, of all the people on the planet, of all the people, I'm choosing you. I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people. Let's make an agreement, a covenant, a vow to one another. That's what was really happening. Now, of course, we know that God was choosing Israel to love Israel and to reveal himself through Israel so that the rest of the world would eventually see who God was. But if you just look at this part of the story, you realize it was like a marriage. And then you understand that the first of the Ten Commandments is don't go after other gods. You know, love the Lord your God, worship him only, don't make idols as the commandments are unfolding. You realize this is what God says. 
because God is a jealous God. And suddenly when I read all that, I kind of put it together. It's like God can experience jealousy kind of like a spurned husband. And now, of course, this is the way it is with Christians in the New Testament. We're called the bride of Christ, aren't we? And in a similar sense, doesn't Christ maybe get jealous when we give our heart to someone or something else? instead of him. And I think this is what God was, was experiencing here. In fact, if you doubt whether or not this was really about a marriage, when you get to Jeremiah 3.8, you discover that God actually divorced Israel. They had gone after God's so many times. He had warned them so many times. He finally said, I'm done with you. And temporarily he divorced them. He said, you broke the covenant with me. And now the covenant has been broken. And I release you. And at that time, you remember, they were exiled to Babylon and Assyria around that time. But God can experience jealousy in this sense. And when I understood it in that sense, I realized that makes sense. I also understood something else. I understood just how much God loved Israel and us. And the reason I came to that conclusion is that you don't get jealous of someone you don't deeply, deeply love. If someone is dating someone and they break up and you didn't care about the person, then if they date someone else, you don't get jealous. But if you really love that person, if you care about that person, suddenly jealousy is ignited within you. And I think the same thing is true about God. He loves us so deeply. And when he watches people going after other gods, and by the way, I think this is happening more and more in our culture, that people are rejecting the God of the Bible and they're going after other gods or goddesses turning away from God as he's revealed himself in the pages of the Bible. Now, again, my main point today is not necessarily that lesson, but my takeaway, if you want to know God, you've got to spend time in his word. And as you spend time in his word, you learn more and more what he is like. Now, let's skip to the New Testament. And I mentioned before that the greatest or clearest example of what God is like is found in the pages of the New Testament in in the example of Jesus. That you look at Jesus and you realize this is what God is like. You see how God or Jesus treated people and this is what God is like. You hear how Jesus taught and you realize this is what God is like. And so I'd like to look at a New Testament example. It's found in John chapter 10 and I think it's familiar to many of you. John chapter 10, beginning of verse seven. We read, so Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. Now let me stop for a moment and let's think about that example. Uh, If you research in a study Bible or a commentary, you may come across this uh, historical fact about Israel that in biblical times, oftentimes their sheepfolds were not enclosed completely. There was no door. It was like, it was made of stone. It was an enclosure of stone, big rocks, but there was no door there. And sometimes the shepherd actually slept at the entrance of that door. And this is, of course, what Jesus is saying. And it's for the protection of the sheep, of course, and to watch over the sheep and to be close to the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the door. And by the way, he's the only door. This is very similar to what Jesus said in other places, like when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the only way to access the sheepfold. The only way we become a a sheep, in a sense, a child of God, is to go through Jesus. But let's skip to verse nine and continue reading. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved 
and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. I am, and now he's going to change the metaphor. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. As the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But... I have other sheep that are not in this fold. And by the way, that's you and me. That's non-Jews or Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not in this fold right now. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now I realize we don't live in a culture where most of us understand much about sheep and shepherds, but there are so many wonderful details here that explain how our Savior relates to us and how we're to relate to him and how we're to relate to God the Father as well. And when I read this, I realize, okay, he wants to protect us. I realize he wants to save us, deliver us, both spiritually and physically. I realized he wants to provide for us, allowing the sheep in and out of the fold where they can get the pastures and find rest. And he wants to communicate with us. He said concerning his sheep, he said, I know them and they know me and they will listen to my voice. And when I read that, I realized this is one of the, the most telling signs of whether or not a person is really a Christian or not. They have the ability to hear the voice of Jesus. I don't mean in an audible sense, but you have fellowship with Christ and you know you have a relationship with him, a relationship with the spirit of Christ who lives within you. Now this same theme of sheep and shepherd is continued later in the same chapter. And if we skip to verse 26, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he adds a little bit more to the picture. Beginning in 26, we read, But you don't believe me. Again, he's talking to the religious leaders. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I, or the father and I are one. Now there's a lot there. There's a lot there that if you took time to meditate on what Jesus said, of course here, he was claiming to be God. In fact, in verse 31, we read the Jews, and this is a reference to the religious leaders, they picked up rocks in order to stone him to death because they thought he was committing blasphemy. And Jesus said to them, what do you want to stone me for? Is it because of which good work? And he responded, the response is found in verse 33. One of the religious leaders said, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. Now it's from passages like this that I learn about this theology called the Trinity. A lot of people say, you know, they argue, well, there's no Trinity. If you read the Bible, you won't come across the word Trinity. No, there are passages throughout the Bible that make it real clear that God is 
the Father. He is also the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. The Trinity exists. And they understood exactly what Jesus was saying here. He said, I am the Father, are one. Now you can imagine for a moment uh, how shocking that would be. It would be like, what if I said that? Oh, God and I are one. We're just one. You, you'd realize you, you, have, you can't say something like that, but Jesus could. He was, he was different. He was God in the flesh. And then from these verses, we learn other things again. Some of them are repeated. Jesus speaks to us. Christians hear his voice. Christianity, again, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In, in John 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. You need to stay connected to me in relationship with me. That's the essence of what the Christian life is about. And that's how we stay close to God the Father as well. We also learn from this where to follow Jesus. Both his teaching and his example. Jesus taught some pretty revolutionary things. And those things, again, reveal what our God is like. And so when he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, or he, he talks about turning the other cheek and some of these other teachings, we realize, wow, our God is like that as well. And then Jesus here, of course, said, I'm the one who gives eternal life. I'm the one who can give somebody eternal life. And once again, I see the deity in Christ in that. You know, to be able to make that claim, I'm allowed to or able to impart eternal life to someone else. And then he adds this. He says, no one can be snatched out of my hands. And this is really a wonderful picture here of the security we have in our relationship with God. Because you take it again from the example of a shepherd and sheep. And what Jesus is saying is, a wolf will not get a single one of these. I'm gonna hold on to every one of these. I'm gonna take care of every one of these. And then he added, and the Father's holding on to them too. And we realize that God's love for us is secure and it's enduring. We learn so much about what God is like in the New Testament and through the example and teaching of Jesus. Which brings me back again to my main point. If you wanna know God, you've gotta spend time in his word. These are just two simple examples. No, I don't know about you, but I don't just want to know about God. And again, that's not what the goal is. It's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God. And this is so important in our day today because so many people have opinions about what God is like. They form their opinions about what God is like based on what they think God should be like. If they read something that God forbids, for example, in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and they disagree with it, or something that he allows, they change their view of God and instead of saying, is this something that maybe reveals the, what God is like? Is this something that still applies to us today? And our opinion of God needs to not come from our ideas of what God should or shouldn't be like. We get informed from the pages of the Bible. Otherwise, we'll, we will be crafting gods in our own image. And again, this is very important because when I read like theologies related to something like hell and, and I wrestle with that, I think what kind of a loving God would create a place called hell? And then I read in the New Testament how Jesus talked about this place and he talked more about that than heaven. I realized regardless of what my human reasoning might be as it's been informed by the world in which I live many times, I'm gonna stick with what Jesus said is true. And I'm gonna believe this is what God is like and somehow in the justice of God, this is something that is okay. Now, what do we wanna do with this? Well, 
I want to encourage you to set aside time to be with God, to make it a regular thing that you do. Now, some of you are already in the habit of doing this. I want to encourage you to be, first of all, more faithful, more faithful this year than maybe you've been in the past years. And second, I want to encourage you to have the goal of your time, your quiet time, as getting to know God. To say, this is not about just getting through the Bible or, or learning about the Bible. I want to understand what God is like based on what he's revealed through the pages of the Bible. There are other people here maybe that are listening to me that have never been in the habit of reading your Bible. If that is you, this is what I would recommend you do in terms of your approach. First of all, I encourage you to start reading your Bible in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. You know, in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. I encourage you to start there. And then I encourage you to read the rest of the New Testament. Uh, When you get to Revelation, you might be held up for just a little bit. If so, skip it for the time being. Then go to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you're done with that, when you're done with the New Testament, then start in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And so I'm saying start in John, go to the end, go back to the first three Gospels, then go to Genesis. The reason I'm suggesting that order is that I think it makes it more understandable and readable so that once you get into the flow, you'll have an easier time understanding the rest of the Bible. Now, what I do as I'm reading the Bible, and this is my own approach, is as I'm reading the Bible, when I finish a chapter, I put a check mark by it. Now, I know some people that have the the plan of reading the Bible in a year. They try to do that every year. It amounts to about reading three chapters a day if you want to go with that approach. I tend not to use that approach because, again, I want to be able to stop and reflect on what God is like. And so in order to keep track as I'm going along, I'm putting a check mark. And so I read Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 6. As I'm going along, there are times when I find that whatever I'm reading doesn't apply very well, that I'm not really being energized by it or encouraged by it or whatever, and I realize it's been a few days and things are getting kind of dry, and we do recognize that some sections of the Bible don't apply as well as others, like when you come to the genealogies of all these people that you don't know, sometimes it'd be easy to want to skip over those. But when I get to that dry spot, I do skip to a different place. And many times I'll go to the Psalms or Proverbs and I'll start there. And I'll read those for a while and then I'll come back and I'll come to that place where my last check mark was and I'll read forward again. Why this matters is that there's this sense of completion as you finish one book and the next book and the next book. Now, one thing I would also encourage you to do is to get a good study Bible. I use the Holman's Christian Standard version of the Bible, the CSB, it's called now. The Holman's, I think, has been removed. The CSB Study Bible, it's got excellent notes. And so as you're reading the Bible and you come across something and you wonder why about this, then you can go to the notes and that would be help helpful. Now, for some of you, the step I think you need to take is maybe to put your faith in Christ so that you can get to know God because the main reason we can't even begin to know God is that our sin comes between us and our creator. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our savior, the gap between us is bridged and the spirit of God comes to live within us and then he begins to enlighten us. 
And so we read in John 3, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus who died and rose again from the dead, inherits eternal life, but then we become children of God. As John further wrote, he said, as many as receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. And that's a starting point for some of you, and then I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of John. Now, I wanna close with one last thought here, and I think it's very important for us as believers that we need to know God, especially in the world in which we live, especially as things get harder and harder, that we get to know our God because the world needs God. And as we get to know God, I believe we're gonna have a greater and greater impact on the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just look to you and express our gratitude to you for your word. We thank you that you have loved us so much as to reveal yourself to us through the pages of the Bible. And we wanna value this. And we wanna learn about what you're like through the pages of the Bible. We wanna learn and as we learn, love you. As we learn, worship you more deeply to realize that we know more and more what you're like and we appreciate more and more your grace toward us, which is so undeserved. And so help us, O Lord, to, to take these steps necessary in order to get to know you by spending time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.